RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Martin Cohen is a writer and editor with a special interest in political philosophy and ethics, and he has written about many interesting topics. You can check those out at his website, martincohenauthor.com. But we're interested in talking to Martin here at RCR after finding out about his Seven Ways Israel Controls the News Agenda piece he's written. I'm looking at the 21st Century Wire site for that. And uh, given uh, the guests we've had on so far since October 7th talking about this, we thought it would be good to get Martin Cohen on our radio uh, program. Martin, welcome to Reality Check Radio. Thanks for giving us some time all the way from the UK. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Okay, so when this, I remember waking up to the story, because we did literally wake up to it down this part of the world on October 7th. What was it like for you when you first heard this thing was unfolding? Just curious to know. Uh, Well, really, it was a sense of deja vu, because this is the point that I tried to make in the the piece for 21st Fox or whatever. (laughs) Um, Yeah. This is just an endless sequence of... um, of, of the tax that's driving Palestinians off the land. Um, and it goes back to the to 1948. Yeah. Um, and the slogan of the people behind it, who I don't like the term, but the Zionists, um, I, I find these labels are actually, this is a philosophical thing, I think labels are very unhelpful, but they just shut people down. But nonetheless, there is a thing called the Zionist movement, and its slogan was, and indeed still is, is, um, a land without people for a people without land. And the idea is that Palestine is this land without people. And over and over again, you see Israelis arguing that Palestinians are in some sense not a people, um, that they're kind of Arab who never really lived in the area anyway, and that literally the the, the land of Israel it was empty and is therefore available for uh, settling. And it's a kind of imperialism uh, of the kind that people in Australia and New Zealand know very well because you had the problem about the European settlers moving in there. And of course, there were people there already. But this is the 21st century. And so to see this going on again, this, this sort of movement to push people out, to deny them basic rights. And, and that's where I come in. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking at it just as a than ethicists would. It's just uh, very annoying to me that the media, uh, mainstream media, tends to distort the issue into one in which you've got a kind of oppressed, civilised group called the Israelis and a a, a very crudely depicted um, group of people who are terrorists or something who are being um, punished for their evil. Uh, The reality is you've got a very... (laughs) <laughs> a very well-established and decent people, the Palestinians, who of course have every right to live in Palestine, and we see it again and again. They are being pushed by violence out of that area to make way for the uh, Israelis. So it's all about territory in the end. Yes, uh, it's a very much. Um, you you hear, for example, about the Holocaust. This really annoys me. Um, because it's weaponized the Holocaust, which was a terrible thing. Uh, and I actually wrote about that in one of my books, uh, Paul. Uh, uh, the whole, whole Holocaust thing has been taken over by Jewish people. That itself is wrong. Um, the Holocaust was an extraordinarily evil 
thing, but it involved more than just Jewish people. Yeah, it involved uh, homosexuals, gypsies, socialists, um, and I think it was disabled people. All of these groups were targeted, viciously murdered. But most of them have been written out of history. So yeah, they don't get a mention, really. No, it's extraordinary, extraordinary. Um, and the principles of, of, of what we should have learned from the Holocaust have gone out the window as well and been replaced with a very crude politics, which um, is a kind of very right-wing politics. Um, and, and yet that's, we, we accept that. We accept that over and over again. Um, well-meaning people say, if Israel comes up in the conversation, they say, yes, yes, but they were treated so badly by the Nazis, we must we must let them have what they want, basically, whatever it is, uh, including, for example, this nuclear weapons thing. How did we allow a country the size of Israel? It's only the size of a large city, in fact. Um, in Western terms, it's about the size of the city of Manchester or Birmingham or something like that. It's got nuclear weapons. No one complains about that in the West. It is totally yeah, but wrong. the West did, didn't. Isn't the West responsible for setting that up? It's really a proxy location for U.S. nuclear weaponry power. Really, in the end, isn't it? Uh, uh, well, they're certainly responsible. Yeah, uh, I think the French also had a role. They used it for okay. geopolitical reasons. <laughs> but right. you, you know, this is just a given. It, it's it's and it, the, the odd thing is, we see increasingly the Israelis threatening their neighbours with the nuclear weapons. They thought used to make a sort of play of saying, "We don't really have them," you know, whilst making sure everyone knew that they did have them. Now they've quite openly. I think one of the ministers said a few months ago, he said, "We we will use these nuclear weapons to blow up um, Iran." I think it was he was speaking about, but they, they regularly threaten all their neighbours including they were actually attacking them, as we saw in this recent recent outbreak of violence. Um, they've attacked up, up at Jordan, they've attacked the West Bank, they've attacked, um, threatened to attack Egypt. You know, they're, <laughs> they're a totally unsuitable country to be given any kind of nuclear weapon, hmm. but there's almost no discussion of that. So that's Well, the, well that's because people are, are afraid, like going back to that weaponizing of the Holocaust, point that you just made that anyone who has something to say about that will be hit with that but they had this terrible thing happen to them and there's no way they'll ever let it repeat again so it's no wonder that they're going to get any weapon they can and if they feel the need they'll mm. they'll threaten with it because they sat around last time and look what happened yeah but the thing about nuclear weapons which is why they are a kind of exceptional weapon is they're very very indiscriminate and yeah. so you never blow up military targets, you basically blow up whole whole cities. Yeah, <laughs> Tehran, you, if it's Iran. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you end up killing huge numbers of civilians, which brings us to the present war where we see, uh, again, it's one of these media things. It's called a war when it suits the Israeli side. Well, they it's said, Netanyahu said, we're at war. He said, we're at war. And and when it... when um, the Palestinians or the Hamas do something, they are terrorists and they're murderers. And realistically, it is not a war because Hamas is not really, it's not a proper country. It doesn't have proper military. It, it has a kind of ragtag uh, guerrilla. Yeah, so how war. can it be an actual war? 
exactly, exactly. So that's one of the things that I, I picked out as a, one of the media myths. It tires me out to see it all the time. Um, yeah, I think I, that I, with that point, that first point, you also say that there's been a minimization of civilian casualties as well. Israel's been doing that, though we know tens of thousands now have been killed. Twelve. Yeah, is it, I, I lose track of the number. Um, more than in the Iraq war, in fact, I've just read in the paper, which was a, which was a war, after all. It was a big war involving, I think, the Iraqi army had something like uh, 200,000 soldiers and they had uh, fighter jets and missiles. And it was a very cruel war, the Iraq war, and it was really very unnecessary, the amount of civilians who died. Nonetheless... You could call that a war. This is not a war. This is a policing operation by an occupying power. And that message is just not conveyed by the media. Although I did see the UN um, giving the legal advice is saying, you know, Israel doesn't have the right to use this force. It is the occupying power. It is in control of this territory, in effect. Yeah. Um, so what it could be doing is a kind of policing operation, very um, clinical and uh, targeted. This idea that you conduct your policing with bombs on cities is, is an outrage. But now we, we put it around. So what's going on? What seems to be going on? It, it was put by um, one of the Israeli ministers, uh, Yoav Gallant. Uh, the aim is to frighten the Palestinians into leaving. And that is what is very, very cynical. They, Israelis intended to see the people of Gaza go to the bottom of Gaza and then cross the border into the desert. And they've said so. We want them to go into the desert and never to return. Isn't that ethnic cleansing by... It surely is. By definition, example. And and another thing, I mean, the term, again, is emotive, but it's genocide. And I think it is appropriate to call it genocide. I had an argument with someone, an argument, a Twitter exchange yeah. um, about that. People say, no, it's not genocide. It, 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 the definition of genocide is to, to forcibly remove a large proportion of a people because of their nationality or their religion. And that is what is going on with the Palestinians. They are being pushed violently out of Gaza as we watch. They've been, I think it's a, a, a one and a half million of them, incredible numbers, forcibly displaced to the south. But now, bar this four-day four truce, bar, bar that, the, the next stage is to try to push the people in the south over the border. And the Egyptians correctly are, are saying, no, we're not going along with that. Um, so it, it, we're watching, it's a kind of slow-motion horror show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one way of putting it. So what happens if there's nowhere... If they want them out, but there's nowhere to go, then what happens? Yeah, well, uh, what what seems to happen is that a, a certain amount of people are being killed. Um, <laughs> it's that kind of an impossible thing, you know. Um, if they won't go and you're, you're using military means to, to persuade them out of fear to go, then they die where they are. And that has happened to an extraordinary number of people. But that's going to be huge numbers. That that would be intolerable numbers, wouldn't it? To the it, to it the would. The I think this is the thing. This this is this is the the very sad real politic of it all. That it, this is what has held up the whole project of the, of the clearing of Palestine of the people who are supposed not to be there anyway. 
is that public opinion, weak as it is, does slightly constrain people, like in the US, which is very, very pro-Israel without knowing a thing about it. Yeah. But nonetheless, the, the, the Americans do not accept that you can kill two million people. That, that, that is not acceptable. The, the Israelis have to move within that frame of what is acceptable to the, to, to the world. Um, they're already totally outside what is acceptable to the UN. They're, they're attacking the UN. They're killing UN staff. This is an extraordinary thing about recent events, how many UN staff have been shot or blown up. Same with journalists. Uh, more journalists have died in, recently than, than in previous wars. And yeah. as I say, this isn't a war. Okay, um, let, let's go through more of these points. Israel has yeah. no plans to stay in Gaza. So they want to push people out, but they don't have plans to stay there. So what's the land use for in the end? Um, that, that, <clears throat> I think that's just rhetoric, isn't it? That, um, the, the, so they the do want to. They do want to stay there, and they do want to use the land, and they want well, to make that canal and uh, look for yeah, the gas and the bought, and the petroleum. They already grabbed quite large areas, calling the border defences, and they just stay in them. You see, once they're there, um, and then the, the other thing that people have floated is one of these theories we have to be a bit sceptical about, but I think it's, there could be substance in it, is Gaza, <clears throat> which was originally a, an entirely negligible amount of territory, does have a significant um, but coastal uh, area. And nowadays there are oil fields and gas fields in the yep. sea. Yep. <laughs> so, so you can well imagine that there could be some thinking there that, that they want to Well, I think some play. of those rights are already being traded. Yeah, very cynical, isn't it? It's very cynical by, by the Western petroleum companies to do that. They're trading with Israel, knowing that it's very controversial what they're doing. Um, but yeah. yes, that, 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 yeah. So, so would that just be the you know? Let's say they clear them out, and then the settlers come in. Would that be the way it works? Um, I think it would be the military would come in. First, yeah, first, yeah, obviously, uh, but it, but the long term plan yeah. would be um, do that, wouldn't it? I, I suspect, I suspect that there was. A, I mean, the people have, I haven't got the names in front of me, but they've said all these things. The Israeli interior ministers and and, and people like this have said all these things. Volve actually, uh, actually clearing out the people permanently, not allowing them to return. At the moment, they've sort of pushed everyone to the southern half of Gaza. And just just to do that would be enough in a way. This is how Israel has worked over the last 80 years. It's bit by bit or cheese pairing. And that's the problem with the West Bank, which is uh, the other bit of, of Israel. Um, it looks like it's a significant territory, but it's not because it's been nibbled away at by settlements. And so what's left of the West Bank is not going to make any kind of state. Um, and it, 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 this is partly why um, you have a, a sort of bogus talk of, of, a, of a negotiating settlement. They've actually destroyed the possibility for a two-state solution. I can't see it returning. To yeah, I was going to ask you about that because isn't the American, isn't Biden sort of promoting that? Well, he was. He was mentioning it. But it's a kind of rhetoric, isn't it? But if, if you really, if you really wanted it, it would have happened um, whenever it was uh, 
under Bill Clinton, and it didn't happen because the Israeli right, the far right as they were then, they're now the government, they killed the the, pre, the prime minister yes. of Israel. Yeah. And yeah, that Rabin. was a kind of window yeah. there, I think, where they might have just about managed to get some kind of agreement. But now there's nothing left. If you look at the West Bank, it's it's a hodgepodge of settlements. And and Gaza itself is not a substantial amount of land either. It, it, it's a kind of... Um, the, the success of the process, in inverted commas, is that you, you can't get a, a second state out of what's left. Yeah. Therefore, there's only going to be a one-state solution. A one-state solution would be very easy. You just have to accord everyone in Israel equal rights, as democratic rights. But the Palestinians do not have rights. The people in the occupied territories do not have any rights, despite them being permanently occupied for the last 80 years. Well, they're, they're already in the desert, so I guess it doesn't, ma- doesn't <laughs> matter anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. But this is one of the things you hear about... How, how democratic Israel is, but all the people who all the all the people living under occupation do not have any rights. Right. Yeah. And and that, ironically, ironically, the demography of Israel has shifted so that there's actually a lot of Israeli Arabs now. Coming up to almost half the country is Israeli Arab. Yeah. But they have almost no political influence. Um, Number three, and I've heard this said, Palestinians are animals. And not only that, that uh, there's talk of this being a religious war, which puts another dimension on it as well. And I guess those that description that I mentioned there that you mentioned comes out of, you know, the talk or the reporting of babies being beheaded, women being raped, all those things. And I don't know, have, have any of those actually been confirmed? Well, this is, this is the thing about these kind of conflicts is you get horror, horrible stories that may or may not be true, but um, the whole thing about the the original events was very murky. I, I only discovered much later that, in fact, one of the elite Israeli troops, uh, not one person, I mean a, a kind of battalion of them were attacked, um, uh, and this is partly why the Netanyahu and people were so furious about the the events was that they lost elite troops. Um, as to the other people, they're quite well documented. A lot of people were killed by Israeli gunships, which, of course, is an example of the imbalance between the two forces. You've got people um, using kind of gliders to get over the barbed wire fence. But yeah, the paragliders, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Israelis retaliated with these very sophisticated Israeli gunships, but they also shot a lot of their own people with the gunships because the orders to the soldiers apparently were shoot everyone who's running, and that included a lot of the settlers and their families. And the people at the music festival, hundreds yeah, of them. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So it's all very murky, and, and we, we don't know. But just on that human animals quote, that, that would have been the Israeli defence minister someone called Yoav Gallant. Yep. Um and, and who he he said, I think this quote's worth worth thinking about. He said, I've ordered a complete siege on the Gaza Strip. There will be no electricity, no food or fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we act accordingly. And that's to 
Boy, you'd think that um, the first thing that would come to mind if you're thinking of saying something like that is what was said about you in the 30s. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all bitterly ironic, and and as I said, I've long considered the the whole uh, Holocaust narrative to be very unhelpful and twisted, um, including these museums of the Holocaust, which you've got in Europe. Um, uh, they kind of distract from all the real. Uh, things that should be done today. Uh, for example, to change the subject slightly, we had Rwanda. Now, that was a, t- a totally avoidable catastrophe. Yeah. Um, w- w- the French had a lot to do with it. Um, but generally, there was just this complete political indifference to stopping that kind of mass killing. That is a legacy of a, a bogus politics built around a misreading of history. Yeah, um, it's just it's, it's calling people human animals. It's uh, it's uh, they're very scary. Okay, the well, U.S. is trying to do the right thing. Is your fourth point? And yeah. um, the interesting thing here, though, is how close the U.S. is to Israel. I was interested to find out that a lot of the players, including Anthony Blinken, but people in the State Department, many of the Congress uh, and senators, and, um, and and a lot of the players in this have dual. American Israeli citizenship. So it's not clear who supports or who's looking out for who. It's sort of, it's a a bit murky. Yeah, it is. It is a bit odd, the the American uh, position. Um, Historically, they weren't so close to Israel, uh, but at some point it became politically extremely important. The Jewish lobby um, is actually extremely powerful in America. And We've seen things like Biden, who was humiliated by the Israelis. Um, he, he went on one of his visits there, and the Israelis announced um, uh, fifteen hundred new homes in, in East Jerusalem during his visit. Absolutely, as I mentioned before, destroying the idea of the two-state solution. Did it at the time of his visit to? To, to say, we're not listening to this man. He's not important. We do what we want. That's the kind of Israeli politics. What did he do in response? And we know what Biden's like. He's a very aggressive individual, actually. He has a kind of folksy thing. But he's one of these people who, who, who shouts at his staff and is generally unpleasant. Remember, what he's always he hustling for his 10% too, as you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did he do when that happened? He went up to to. Uh, Netanyahu, who he calls BB, that's his friendly nickname, yep, and BB, said, yep. just remember, I am your best fucking friend here. <laughs> okay, well, that's... It's not it's not politics is normal. It's an absurd kind of um, everything Israel does is fine in America. Yeah, so what can the Americans, what can they do in this situation? Because... Um, it, you know, there's not much room to manoeuvre for them, is there? Uh, otherwise, they just stand isolated alone with Israel and everyone else kind of looking in. Um, well, the last time, you know, it seems a long, you know, it seems like ancient history, but there was a, there was a quite a serious peace movement with Bill Clinton um, peace initiative, and I, I think historically. As I say, the Americans used to have a kind of leverage on Israel, which um, somewhere along the line went because 
the Israelis have shifted so dramatically that there used to be a kind of of, of liberal Israeli politics that's gone. There's only right and far right left in, in Israel. Um, but the Americans, I think, do have the leverage. Um, in fact, I think let me. I should digress here slightly because it's one of my things that I campaigned on for 20, 30 years. We, the EU has leverage, the European Union. Um, the European Union offers Israel special trade access to Europe as though it's a member without having any obligations. That's done on the basis that Israel is the kind of country, it's called a neighbourhood agreement, the kind of country that is fully democratic, and as I've explained, it's not democratic at all, it doesn't even give the vote to half the people in it, um, and, and it, is, it is working for peace with its neighbours, and it's not doing that, it's regularly attacking its neighbours. The European Union does have leverage, it should cut off the trade privileges to Israel immediately and not restore them till Israel has become the kind of country that deserves them. Well, they must know that. Um, so I wonder, does Bibi have dirt on Biden? I, I don't suppose on a personal level it works like that, but I, I do suppose that he has leverage in terms of the the lobby. Yeah. And, and the other thing about Biden is he's actually, I think, he's someone who shouldn't be there. He's... he's, he's, he's got a lot of people within the party who wanted to go. So his position is fragile already. And that, that makes him vulnerable to pressure from outside. And also from also inside too, right? Because yeah. people do wonder who's actually running the show right now. Yeah. And and they have said that his, his recent announcements were contrary to long-established State Department policy. Um, so he's pushed, he's pushed himself out to be more pro this war. I mean, he's put a warship off, off the coast of Israel to support the Israeli attack on this on Gaza, which, as I say, is occupied territory. Um, it's like a city, you, you know. You don't need a warship to, to sort out the problems of a city. Point number six you make, unlike the Arabs, the Jews have nowhere else to go. And that's true. Oh, well, no, I think this is one of the things that I find most extraordinary. I think there's six million Jews in America. There's there's only about uh, is it is it a million or two million Jews? Because also oh, there of, are places to go. Yes, indeed, the Jewish people live fairly fairly successfully around the world. They're one of the the most successful people uh, there are, in fact, um, and. One of the bizarre things about Israel is it's depopulated. I mentioned how it, the Israeli population is shifting to a position where there's more Israeli Arabs than Israeli Jews. So you've got the government of Israel going around the world, like to, to Russia they went, to, to try to get Russian oh, right. Jews. Yeah, to get more population in, yeah. But so is it very hypocritical, this story about they've nowhere else to go? They're very successful. Jewish people are very successful. They are... Um, even in places like Iran, which, of course, Israel is always threatening to, to attack. Iran continues to host a significant Middle Eastern population of Jewish people. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. So, um, th but that's, to have to go somewhere else means that you have to admit the whole experiment, if you want to call it that, was a complete fail. Yes. That's a hard one to take. Um. 
I think I think what ought to happen is uh, soon at some point it must happen. I'm sure is that you have to to say you're not going to have this so-called Jewish state. Jewish state is a really an anomalous idea. What you have is a modern state. Possibly you have particular protections for the Jewish people within it, um, and you can do that. We we had to sort of situation in Northern Ireland where you eventually manage to get a, a peaceful arrangement which protects the rights of the minority. Um, either the, at the moment it's a Catholic minority, that's a shifting to, to, to becoming a Protestant minority. Either way, the institutions have been designed that no group can oppress the other group. Now, you could do the same in Israel, but it needs to become a, a multi-ethnic and a more, more, more modern and conventional society this throwback idea that it's a Jewish state where the Jewish people have special privileges and everyone else is a second-rate citizen, that's just not, not something that we can take forward, I think. And your last point, number seven, you just can't negotiate with terrorists. Well, I've heard that said over and over again, but uh, that helps if you can say that and people believe it because they don't want to negotiate. <laughs> that's right, that's right, and... and um, it, it is. It is one of these stories that uh, it's just accepted by the mainstream media without any challenging. It's not true. Um, I can't remember the exact details, but th- th- there was um, th- there was some recent uh, Hamas negotiator who, who was murdered by the Israelis only <laughs> only for being a negotiator. He was. It, it, it's un- how many Israeli negotiators have been murdered by Hamas? None at all, of course. <laughs> no. So it's very one-sided, this story about you can't negotiate with Hamas. And I, I think it's symptomatic of the whole problem. Uh, the demonization of Palestinians, um, turning them into a, a, a kind of stereotype, which I think is racist, in fact. People, people are... Uh, very easy, in, take, take the Americans, they're very easy to associate Arabs with all sorts of bad things. And, and they consider the Jewish people, who after all also are kind of um, Semitic people, but they're all some, ethnically, they're all from the same place. <laughs> but within the popular narrative, you've got the Jewish as a kind of honorary American, honorary European, and the Arabs, who are always considered devious and dishonest and violent, and, and this this kind of prejudice is what underpins a very what should be a totally unacceptable politics that we're seeing at the moment. Do you think the because you know we hear that um, the Israeli population has been split too, especially with the protests that were going on before all this happened regarding I think it's sort of like a battle between Bibi and the uh, court system of Israel. I mean. Have we any way of knowing? Do you think um, what the how how it breaks down population wise as to who supports who and what and so on and well, so forth? I, I think it's a, you've seen the same thing happen all over Europe. That what would be called the left right balance changed, and you ended up with the left dis- evaporating away, and only the right was left, and that brought in the far right, who used to be outside politics, not have much influence. Uh, you've just got, I think it was in, in the, is it the Netherlands that you've got a kind of far-right leader elected? Um, and it's the same thing happened in Israel, that the politics has shifted totally to the to the right. 
Um, I, I don't see um, – they're almost half the population, um, Israeli Arabs, influencing anything at all, which is bizarre. Yeah. How do you think this is well, – I won't say end because there probably is no end, but um, from what you know and the thinking you've done, what do you think is going to happen here? Are they going to drive the people out of Gaza, for example? Do you think that will happen? I, I it's a very you know it's a t- tough question, and yeah. it's I think a lot of people are wondering. I, I think what must happen is eventually the Americans say enough is enough. Um, we we can see at the moment they've had this um, truce, but the Israeli defense forces have gone on today saying how they insist on getting started again and how they intend to work on another city, another city within the Gaza. Um, so I, I, that doesn't surprise me. That's Bibi. That, that's Netanyahu's stamp on that policy. Um, I think he, he uh, is in danger. As soon as the war stops, he's in danger of being um, actually put in prison himself, gross incompetence in allowing the border to be breached. Yeah. So it's it's not looking at all promising from that point of view. I, I think the only thing that will stop this is the Americans. But we've got this very strange policy, very inappropriate president who should have gone long ago, hanging on, having tied his colours too, too clearly and dominantly to the Israeli policy. So I, I think what we might see is a shift in America where Biden is sidelined and, and the traditional American uh, restraining influence comes in. Then Netanyahu would probably be prosecuted by the Israelis for his own incompetence. Um, then you might move to a kind of negotiation, some kind of attempt to put back uh, this, this so-called two-state solution. Other than that, you're going to get a terrible outcome, which will be the Israelis are more or less allowed to use terror to, to push the people of Gaza um, into probably the corner of Gaza. And then, you know, they'll put a fence around it. Totally inhumane. Well, that, that's even more of an open-air concentration camp, isn't it? Because yeah, the density exactly. of people and the, the land size... They're that, already that would, on yeah. pretty much the minimum... You know, they could barely, you could barely keep so many people in such a small space already. So to shrink it by three quarters, it's mind-boggling. But I, I hope that outcome won't be the one that happens. I, I do hope that uh, American um, common sense returns. We will see. It's been really interesting talking with you, Dr. Martin Cohen, and going through those seven points. Um, from the article we mentioned at the start, which uh, is for if people want to go and see at the 21st Century Wire website. It's called Seven Ways Israel Controls the News Agenda. Thank you for joining us. I think I said from the UK, but I think you're actually in Paris. Am I right? I, I'm actually in France, yes. Yeah, okay. It's okay. hard to tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. But thank you for coming on and adding, you know, um, your thoughts and and. Um, those sort of dimensions to this so we can sort of try and work our way through approximating some sort of understanding, accurate or as accurate as we can be, understanding and offsetting the news media reporting that we're getting, which 
does kind of give us a uh, only sort of a one-sided view it feels yeah well thanks very much for having me and airing all these uh, all these issues rcr with paul brennan reality check radio